Coming up next on Better Place Project with Steve Norris. I have a few clients who've met the love of their lives on dating apps. And, but a lot of people who are very frustrated by it. I think that, look, it's the world that we live in. I think what makes it very difficult and sad is that this whole swiping culture, it's like everyone is just so disposable. And that's not what we need. We need more connection. And so I, I really find that part of it incredibly difficult to, for people to navigate. And I find it really sad. If you're going to be on the apps, a couple of things. Don't say what it is that you don't want. Focus on what it is that you do want. Make the world a better place. Make the world a better place. Hey, hey, I'm Steve Norris. Welcome to Better Place Project, where each week we shine a light on amazing humans from every corner of the planet who are doing extraordinary things to help make the world a better place including sharing their knowledge with us on how we can be living healthier, happier, more purposeful lives. I wanted to take a quick moment to give a shout out to our friends over at the Gratitude Blooming Podcast. Their co-host, Omar Brownson, has been on our show to chat about what he calls fearless gratitude. Well, Omar and I quickly realized that our shows are very much in alignment in our quest to do our part to help create a better world with a higher consciousness. So with this collaboration in mind, I invite you to check out the Gratitude Blooming podcast, where each week they share stories from the front lines of this new landscape. Teachers, healers, leaders, and so many others join them to share their emergent practices. So to add a little hope and inspiration to your day, head over and subscribe to the Gratitude Blooming podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, guys, I've got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that I am down for the count with the worst flu I've had in years. I remember in 2016, I was in London and I got my first case of the flu in like 15 or might have even been 20 years uh, since I'd had the flu. I just don't get the flu very often at all. And it kicked my butt. I was pretty much in bed for a week. Well, I got this one this last Friday, and I spent the better part of the weekend in bed, and it's now Monday, and I'm still MIA. But I did manage to crawl out of my hole to record this intro for you. But the good news is that I recorded this week's conversation last week when I was feeling great, so you won't have to listen to this horribly congested voice the entire episode. And... I also wanted to give you all a heads up that I'll be taking a couple of weeks off from the show as I'll be working on some other projects for the next couple of weeks, but don't worry, I will be back soon. This is a great time to binge past episodes while I'm away, and if you haven't already, don't forget to follow us or subscribe to make sure you don't miss our next episode. But let's get to today's guest, and wow, this is a good one. Jillian Turecki is a certified relationship coach, teacher, and writer who for 20 years has taught others how to transform their relationships with themselves. Under the tutelage of Tony Robbins and world-renowned family therapist Chloe Madonis, Jillian is certified by the Robbins Madonis Center for Strategic Intervention, a renowned coaching program known for its innovative strategic solutions to the most difficult relationship problems. Fueled by an insatiable curiosity about what makes a relationship thrive, Jillian has helped 
thousands through her teaching and writing to revolutionize their relationship with themselves so that they transform their relationships with others. Jillian is sought out for her compassionate, direct, and very authentic style of coaching and teaching. First of all, if you guys haven't already, go out and follow Jillian on Instagram at Jillian Turecki. That's T-U-R-E-C-K-I. And you'll see why she's blown up with over 275,000 followers. Her advice is just so unique and spot on. And as you'll hear in this interview, it's so much of her work is focused on fixing ourselves. Because as she says, every relationship that I've ever had had one thing in common, and that was me. So if we really want to improve our current relationship or attract the right partner, we have to start with ourselves. And that's where Jillian is just brutally honest. I think you'll love this conversation. Without further ado, Jillian Tarecki. Make the world Welcome to the show, Jillian. Hi, thanks for having me. So awesome to have you. Let's dive right in, as I like to do so much, and start right off the bat on having you tell us a little bit about your childhood and kind of the events that led up to you being the relationship coach guru that you are today. Wow, I wasn't expecting childhood. Okay, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was okay. Are we going to need to extend this an extra hour I now know, since I have to like, get the childhood out? <laughs> um, like, I don't know what. So I, you know, I was born and raised in Manhattan. Uh, you know, I, my, my parents were immigrants. My father originally from Poland. Is a psychiatrist, right? Psychiatrist, or a psychologist? Yeah. My father's yeah, yeah. a psychiatrist. My mom was, you know, a model at one point and then just basically a housewife. Um, they, my father was originally from Poland, but when he was an infant, it was basically like the end of World War II. And um, so they, he and, his, and my grandparents escaped Poland um, and lived in uh, Sweden for a few years before um, moving to, immigrating to South Africa, which is where he met my mom. So oh, okay. he was, he went to medical school in South Africa grew up from like 12 years old up into adulthood in South Africa. And then my, my parents came to uh, New York city in the late sixties. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'm a first generation, you know, grew up partying in New York city. And um, I, I, you know, I had, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, I think by a lot of people's standard, I think I had a fine childhood. I had a very complicated relationship with my father and my mom and my father had a really terribly toxic relationship. So, I mean, yes, you know, any therapist I went to when I was a kid was like, you did not have a great childhood, but I think it's all relative. Yeah. You know, I had a, I, sure is, you know, yeah. I was able to go to private school. I went to camp. I got, you know, I was able to have those privileges. Um. When I graduated college, no one told me that it was okay to not know what you wanted to do with your life at 21 years old. And being raised by immigrant parents, you're, and I'm sure anyone who's, uh, who's listening to this, who have, who are first generation, there is this expectation of the American dream, which is that, you know, you know, you know, you got to go to college, you have to get a corporate job, like you need a lot of certainty, you need a lot of stability. 
which it's not a bad message at all, but stability was what it was all about. So I was expected to go the corporate route. I have two older sisters. One of my older sisters went the corporate route and I was absolutely miserable. I mean, I worked at a, you know, really big corporate giants for a while. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to work in fashion and just work for like, you know, like two women in like a loft and doing fashion and stuff like that. So I, and then I hated that. Um, And I think that, so when I was in my twenties, knowing that I had to figure out a career and that was very important, not, not knowing what would make me happy. I was very, very stressed out because I hated the corporate world. And I realized that I actually hated working for other people. As did I. Yes. Hated it. But I didn't have any, there was no like, I'm going to become a lawyer. I'm going to become a doctor. So um, I became a yoga teacher and my mom, I'll never forget. My mom was like, okay, not exactly the, you know, the security that I was looking for, for you, but what can I do? You know, you beat to your own drum. And ultimately I was, I was supported in that. In fact, speaking of which, I literally just found out last night, by the way, Lisa, my partner who works behind the scenes on the show, who's a huge fan of you, and she's the one that turned me on to you. And we were talking last night that I'm so excited to finally, you know, I've been following you since she told me about you. And 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 what I didn't know until last night is that you're actually, we've had Skylar Grant on the show. Oh, and yeah. that you've worked with her out of New York going way back. Oh, yeah. Skylar is a, a very, she's like family to me. And she was my She's my awesome. Yoga. And so is Jeff. Yeah. They both were on the show, Jeff as well. Yeah. yeah. So Skylar was my mentor uh, for many years. And I guess, you know, you could say she was my boss because I worked for Kula Yoga Project, but it's not the same thing sure. as working for someone out in Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. Sure. So I became a yoga teacher and um, because I had discovered yoga and it completely changed my life. And I knew from the moment that I began practicing yoga that it was going to be in my life until I died. It, it was just that I, I, I had a sense that I was really building or starting, embarking on a relationship that was never going to end. And then I wanted to teach it. And I did. And I taught in New York and taught with Skylar and under Skylar's tutelage as well. And did that for, you know, 17 years. And, um, but I would say that about 10 years ago was when I started to feel antsy. And it wasn't that I didn't want to teach anymore, but I wanted what I was doing teaching yoga was not enough, but I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. And I also had this, this, this belief that's always been a part of me was, which is that, you know, I have to get married and I want a child. So I, I, I just, it was almost like a little, another existential crisis. I'm like, what do I want to do? And I didn't know. And I ended up actually getting married and that was a complete disaster. (laughs) It was actually a pretty good relationship up until we got married, although there were red flags that I definitely ignored. Um, But that ended up being a complete disaster. And during that time of when we were splitting up, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer and was given very little time to live. I heard about that stage four. Yeah, stage four lung cancer, which you don't survive. So I... um, in 2014, 
I, um, you know, I had a dark night of the soul. My husband left me. I had a miscarriage. I actually had, you know, a miscarriage even before that. And my mom was dying. And I just remember thinking, okay, this is what it is. What is this? What it means when your life falls apart? Like literally, like what Pema mm-hmm. Children says, like when you're like, sure, yeah. And uh, it was a serious dark night of the soul. It was, um, it was terrible. You describe it. I've heard you describe it as the day you died. Yes, was essentially, um, you know, and it's so interesting, Jillian, that that you and I are both involved in something right now as a result of I went through a very, very similar dark night of the soul, and I talked openly about it on past episodes that just everything in my life just went to to hell, and it was just a really, really dark period. But out of that sprung this podcast. You know, so isn't that interesting how so many times when we go through these darkest times, you know, we do become a seeker, if you will, of something that that something that's for our soul, that's for our purpose and our passion, as opposed to, you know, getting what, what so many what we are kind of taught in school, go get a good job that pays well. So you buy a house, get married, have kids and have the career and all that. And it sounds like the career life certainly was not fulfilling for, for you as well. So, so was it that I'm assuming that you said, okay, let's look back over my relationship. You know, why did it go badly? And and at what point, because you talk so much about accountability and I want to get to that as well. Mm -hmm. At what point did you start holding yourself accountable for some of the things that maybe you could have done differently, because those are so many of the things that you talk about in your teachings. Yeah. So, um, so yes, I, I, I do refer to that as, as the day I died because it was like everything that I, it, it was the blueprint that I had had for what my life would look like and who would be in it just went up in flames. Like I thought I would be, you know, by that time married with a kid, maybe two kids. I thought, you know, for sure my mom would be alive or, you know, not be diagnosed with lung cancer. I'd also um, just like four years prior to that lost my stepfather who I was very close to. Um, So when I say that that was the day that I died, it was like everything that I thought life was going to be totally turned out not to be what it was going to be. You know, it just, the blueprint went up in flames and I had this, this feeling of, wait, something must be wrong with me, which then over time became accountability in a much healthier way, as opposed to just like, I'm broken, but I felt really broken. Um, I, so the transition for me was, you know, one day it was actually the, the day after my husband left and I was sitting outside because I have a dog and, you know, my dog allowed, you know, made it so that I had to be outside. And my friend who was also a life coach. And back then, you know, it wasn't like everyone, no one was really talking about life coaching. It was certainly not an industry that I wasn't even aware of 
And she found me and we started talking and she brought up Tony Robbins. And I was like the infomercial guy with the big team. Ah, This is your friend, Anna. Yes, my friend, Anna, exactly. See, I listened to your podcast. You You talk about this. Very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. (laughs) So my friend, Anna, who I'm still very close with, and she, um, you know, and this was like before... Again, like Tony was huge, but not in the same way I than he is now. This is, you know, we're talking about almost nine years, eight and a half years ago. Anyway, so I started listening. I was very skeptical, but I was desperate. So I started listening to him and having him talk also about relationships. It's like everything started to make sense. And uh, that's what you know, listening to him is what got me up out of bed every morning. And then I started to feel really inspired and I started to study more and I went to school and I I hired a coach and I had a mentor who's his business partner, who's an 82 year old woman. And then I have this other mentor who's uh, a coach who's, who I've been working with for eight and a half years, who's been phenomenal, especially in helping me build my business. And, um, and I realized that I that whatever happened between me and my ex-husband or me and anyone else, I had to be able to see my part. I had to see where my stuff was interfering as well as be able to see where their stuff was interfering. Like I had to be able to it's I I wanted to get clarity because closure really comes. People talk about closure like it's something that that someone can gift to you, but they can't. Closure is really a state of clarity. And it's when you're like, oh, I'm starting to understand this. And in that understanding, you're understanding what you did, the things that you did to contribute to the problems where you, where you're lacking skill, because I mean, look, we're just not taught this in school. Exactly. And, and also clarity about what was really them. And so that's where this whole idea of accountability is so important. And when I started to work with people, I realized no matter how thin you slice a story, there's always two sides to the story. Now, Let's put aside abuse and anything like that, right? Because there are instances of that. And I'm not really interested in, you know, having someone who's a victim of vile abuse to be accountable. However, as someone who was, you know, I was in a very, very horribly abusive, verbally and emotionally abusive relationship in my late 20s. And if I was not able to say, Jillian, you need to look in the mirror and figure out why the hell you 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 accepted that. And Tolerated, also yeah. the worst came out in me. Like I trust me, I had toxic behavior in that relationship too. So I really do believe that accountability actually applies to everyone. Although I just know that if someone is like in the throes of something abusive, that's not where I would want them to go first, is like see how they're accountable. But sure. put that aside, let's shelve that for a moment. There really almost there's always two sides. And if you don't see that you have something to do with it, then you don't have agency over your life and you need to have agency over your life. Even if that means like, 
You have to learn how to listen more. You have to learn how to choose better partners, or you have to learn how to communicate, or you have to learn your self-esteem has to go up, or your self-esteem has to level out, you know, whatever it is. Got to see, you know, or your daddy issues or your mommy issues, whatever it is. Like, you got to be able to see it. You have to be able to see it to change it. Yeah, I, I I love a quote that you said on your podcast. And you said, if we want a relationship that lasts and is fulfilling while it lasts, we have to build unshakable courage to face our fears, all the things you're talking about right now, and learn the skills none of us were taught in school and for many of us in childhood. So can we drill down a little bit more on these, obviously, self-reflection, I think, is a type of skill, holding ourselves accountable. But what are some of these other skills you're talking about when you say that? Like what, like you wish we were taught in school? Yeah. So communication skills. Perfect. Number yeah. one. I mean, I think in school, a lot of schools will teach you how to debate. Ah. How to defend a thesis. How to be defensive. Sure. And aren't we all defensive when things exactly. come up in relationships? Or yeah. how to present. And none of that means jack shit when it comes to yeah. a relationship. So learn the skills are learning how to communicate. Um, I think that it's really important that if you are in a relationship with someone of the opposite gender, that you understand that person's psychology as well, because men and women are different. And so like, uh, you know, you can't expect your boyfriend, lover, whatever, to be just like all your girlfriends and vice versa. Mm -hmm. I think that um, also understanding yourself and understanding your own psychology, understanding just your hormonal system, you know, understanding your emotions, um, understanding, you know, there are people who were taught that being um, having emotions meant you're weak. Well, you can only imagine what that does to a yeah. person in relationships. They're having a really hard time. And then you're also, there are also people who were never taught how to regulate their emotions. They too are having a really hard time. And, you know, our parents did the best that they could. And not only that, our parents probably in some, some of our parents did better than what we give them credit for. Some of them do worse, you know, these are just, sure. it's being able to, yes, have the self-reflection, but the skills are learning how to speak and how mm. to communicate, not just with your actions, not just with your words, but with your actions, with your body language. And that's very important. Yeah, it's it's interesting what you just mentioned about men sometimes and and not showing emotions. And so many times we feel we get mixed signals from women that say they want us to be these vulnerable, you know, guys that get emotional. And, and then when we do, like you said, they, they all of a sudden we're a wimp now. In fact, that exact same thing happened when I got out in the dating world years ago after being, as I told you, bef you know, before we started recording this call today, that, that I was in a long-term marriage for 23 and a half years. And when I was back out on the, the dating world, I remember being on a first date with somebody mm -hmm that I met on some goofy app. And uh, and she says to me, oh my gosh, my ex, he was just such a, a wimp. I remember he died when, it, or he cried when his dog died. And I remember yeah. thinking, when Max, my golden retriever, died that my kids grew up with at 12, 13 years, I cried like 
a baby. And I'm thinking, okay, next, uh, you know. Yeah, that and... would be we refer as a, as a red flag. Just even oh, someone yeah. talking about their ex in any derogatory way, I, I'm not a fan of. I totally agree with that. If 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 they badmouth their ex, like like with the possible exception that you mentioned earlier, if there was physical, verbal yes. abuse, that sort of thing, the completely inexcusable type of behavior. But totally agree. If they come in and say, ah, yeah, he was, the, you know, Oh, never listened. Yeah, yeah. No, terrible. terrible. Total red flag. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And and to your point, we do have to look deep inside ourselves and and change the way we see ourselves and see our parents, as you as you mentioned. Um, can we talk a little bit about authentic authenticity? Sure. And as you say, authenticity always wins. What does what does it mean to you to be authentic and to be and to show up in an authentic way in our relationships? So um, to be authentic is to actually be true to yourself. So that means that you are not trying to be someone else. Like, let's say in a dating scenario, you are not in any way strategizing to get someone to be more interested in you. You're not pretending to be someone that you're not. You're not pretending to like something that you don't that you that you don't like. Um, you are totally brutally honest about what you come to the table with and that you know like for example like if you want kids you have to be upfront about that that would just be authenticity but in a relationship it means telling the truth and telling the truth based on how it is that you feel because a lot of people are too afraid to rock the boat in their relationship and he, and some sometimes that's even unconscious. They think, you know, why bother? You know, like that's just going to create more problems, or they're not going to understand, or they're it's just going to, again, it's going to rock the boat. It's going to open up a Pandora's box. I don't want to do that. When you are living in that state inside of a relationship, you're not being authentic because you're not being true to yourself, and then representing yourself truthfully outward to to whomever you are in a relationship but they're just anywhere so i think that first of all it's not always it's not that easy to be authentic we care about what other people think of us some of us obviously care what other people think of us more than others right and for those people who literally care so much it's like they're in a prison but everyone cares a little bit and we certainly care what the person who we certainly care about what the person we're in a relationship with, how they think about us. I mean, we definitely care about that. And it's difficult to always tell the truth in a relationship, but telling the truth is really the highest form of authenticity. Um, And it's not about like, oh, I think you look kind of fat today, or I don't think you look great today or something like that. It's not that kind of truth. It's I've been, you know, I'm st- I don't know if I want to have kids anymore. And I sure. know you really want to have kids. I'm really hurt by something that you said. And I really want to talk about it. I, um, I don't like this thing that you do. And I really am trying to figure out how to work with it. I don't know if I love you anymore. I don't, you know, like telling the truth or... I hate that you get stoned every single night. I the fact that you um 
the fact that you're stressed out all the time makes me lose attraction to you. And I don't want to lose attraction to you. I don't want you to be stressed. Like, so there's a way to do it. That's kind. Yeah. You know, of course you want to be kind and not, and not be blaming, but these are the things that people hold inside in their relationship. And and it's a problem. And, 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 and then there's lots of people, it's a lot of women in general who really struggle. They never learned how to assert themselves in a relationship. So they've never learned how to say like, this doesn't work for me because they think I'm not going to be loved. I'm not yeah. going to be the good girl. I'm not going to be like the perfect person. And then you're not being authentic. Yeah, just what you said right there, Jillian, just kind of segues me beautifully into what I wanted to kind of go towards next. And you've you've said that inside of all of us is a child who's terrified that they're not enough and desperately wants love. So we have to do the work to figure out how to feel enough, even if we don't feel enough all the time. And you, you mentioned that part of that is learning how to make ourselves happy. So for someone out there who's listening to this right now, who's struggling or maybe coming out of their own dark night of the soul, how can they start? What's step one on this journey of learning how to make ourselves happy? Right. Well, first I'll just say that like, we are not actually meant to be happy all the time. We're meant to have all sorts of emotion because we wouldn't recognize joy or happiness if we didn't have the opposite end of the spectrum. The absence of it. Yeah. Sure. We just wouldn't recognize well it. So we're not, so it's not about like, it's not really the pursuit of happiness necessarily. I think, so there's two things. I think that, um, being able to access joy over the little things is a skill worth developing, like just being joyful over the fact that like, I don't know, like a, a, a stranger smiled at you, you know, so not having these really these strict rules about what has to happen in order for you to be happy. So it's like, oh, I need like, I I need to have everyone telling me that I'm great, or I need to have a relationship, or I need the sun to be shining, and then I'm happy. So first, it's really about acknowledging where, how negative you are, you know, like how much you are looking out in the world and 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 only seeing like darkness. And I mean, I know this intimately. I mean, I just was, you know, I wasn't raised by two people who saw the glass half full, just wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I had I have to really consciously train myself to be able to see things in a more positive light, not in a I'm lying to myself and not seeing reality, but like not looking at something and seeing it worse than it is, either seeing it as it is or trying to see it better than it is. And so that would be step one. But also part of step one, which is the most important thing is that if you're coming out of a dark night of the soul, even if it's a, even if it's a, it's a minor dark night of the soul, maybe it's a stuck in a rut. You feel lost dark night of the soul. Maybe it's a dark night of the soul. Like, Oh my God, your life just like every, like people are dying around you. Like it's awful. You have to figure out a way to find, to make your life meaningful 
even in the midst of all the pain. And this is like the great teachings of Viktor Frankl from Man's Search for Meaning. It's like, I've, what, what kept me going when I really was like, I, I mean, I was never, ever suicidal. I would never do that to, um, I would never do that to the people who love me. But I definitely had moments where I was like, I wish I wasn't living. I think that's different than being suicidal, but I think, I guess that's just more just being depressed, but I had moments and what got me out of that suffering doesn't mean I wasn't in pain. Doesn't mean I wasn't still hurting. Doesn't mean the grief went away. The grief was very much there. I mean, for, you know, I think I cried every single day for an entire year, but what got me out of the intense darkness suffering was, was was listening to things that really inspired me and then working towards building this new future of trying to like figure, I was like, wow, I'm just going to read all about this. I became absolutely obsessed about what makes a relationship works work. I wanted to figure it out. And I devoted all my time into energy into that. And then my life started to have meaning again. And all of a sudden, like this path was start, this new path was forging. So you need to figure out a way if you're in a dark night of the soul to figure out a way to have your life have meaning and purpose, and then happiness will find you here and there in those little moments. That's what's most important. Love it. Okay. I love this uh, quote and I honestly can't remember if I pulled it off your podcast or off of Instagram, but I think it so beautifully sums up kind of the whole, you know, accountability. And you said, quote, it's not that they do not know how to communicate. It's that you struggle with communicating effectively as well. It's not that they always leave. It's that you often leave yourself before they do. It's not that they always complain. It's that maybe you haven't been listening. It's not that there's just no passion left. It's that somehow perhaps the passion has also gone out in you. If every person you've ever been with is needy, Perhaps it's you that has a hard time relating. Maybe you keep withdrawing. And if you are someone who's had an affair or many affairs, it's not because of the person you're in a relationship with. It has everything to do with you. you know, And so on. And now I'm remembering That's that was podcast. in your podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was in your podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Loved it. I, I, had, I had to pause because I wanted to write this down because it was so beautifully said. But I think for me, that just resonated on such a deep level of, and that's, I think that's why you resonate so much with people in that so often you hear people talking about relationship coaches, for example, that say, well, if you're with, if you're with a person that's doing this and doing this, avoid these characteristics. It's always so much. The dialogue is about them where with you. And it, it's, it's, it's almost always within. If you look within, you'll start having better relationships. In fact, you even mentioned that you don't do a whole lot of couples counseling anymore. You like to do one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why that is and also talk about you know, what I just mentioned, how important it is that we just continue to look at ourselves in, in every scenario in our relationships? Yeah, so um, I, I really – so I had a wonderful therapist she started off as our couples therapist when I was married and she did, there were some really great things that, that she did, but ultimately it was, it felt like a waste. I mean, she was a wonderful therapist with me, but the, the couples, like the two times 
the few times that my ex-husband and I went to a therapist who was working with the two of us, it was absolutely useless. Really? Yeah, it was totally useless. And I thought there's got to be a different way to do like something like, what is this? And we were not being held accountable. We weren't like, Mm -hmm. you need to be tough with couples. And so I, when I started my journey of relationship coaching, I really wanted to help couples and I worked with lots of them, but it's very exhausting it's some couples, it's like the couples that come to you and they're like, we want to do better. It's great. But usually it's like one person comes in and they're saying, and they're bringing their significant other and they're like, fix them so that I can be happy. That's exactly happened to me in a past relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Fix them so that I can be happy. And it's really, really, really intense. And what I found was that I really loved working with people who whether they were in a relationship or not in a relationship, I liked working with people at different stages of their relationship journey. Either they were single and looking recently heartbroken or they're in a relationship to help them change themselves so that they can, so that they can see that through changing themselves, their reality totally changed. And I loved actually seeing that. And so, and that's just, just I just kind of evolved going that way. It's so funny as you're telling that story, Jillian. It, I had a deja vu. I was in a relationship for about four years, and it was not a healthy relationship at all. Mm-hmm. And just she had had a really, really horrible childhood. And I'm kind of a I like to save and fix people and help people. And and but it was really verbally abusive, you know, on on her part. And that's how she kind of dealt with things. She lashed out at people. And and so I had to try for months and months and months to convince her, let's go get help. Let's go to counseling and so forth. And 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 we went to the therapist and and she said, well, I'm, you know, you're the one that needs to fix yourself. You have all these issues. I'm fine, Steve. You're the one that has all these issues. I said, I'll take accountability. Okay, but can we go together? Will you at least commit to our relationship and come with me? So, so we go and then the you know by the end of the session, the therapist says, um, Steve, I'd like you to come back next week if you would. Um, I said, okay, great. And the whole way home, my ex is saying, see, I told you it's you that needs to be fixed, that she doesn't even want me to come back in. And I go back next week and she said, I wanted you to come back because I can help you. Mm. I can't do anything For her. With, with her. There's nothing I could do with that with that mindset. And, and then the next comment was, why are you with her? Mm. You know, mm. uh, w- what is this relationship bringing to you? And it was like, Wow. And, you know, me being the thick headed, it still took me another year and a half before I got out of that relationship. Cause, <laughs> yeah, I don't always see the red flags, even when they smack me across the, <laughs> the face, you know, and it says red flag with neon lights. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah it yeah. looks kind of like a white flag. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so and you talk about staying in your head. That's so much of a staying in our head. And, and if we stay too much in our head, our relationship is dead. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? And how do we get out of our head? And I'm assuming you mean into our hearts. Yes. So when you're constantly in your people, couples, 
when they're constantly in their heads, they are constantly creating stories and meanings about the other person. And it's usually, it's very disempowering. They always do that. They always do this. They never do that. Why are they always doing that? If they really love me, then. And they're all of a sudden creating this whole narrative about the other person and their intentions. And what happens is then at the end of the day, the person's saying, well, I don't know if they can meet my needs because they are basing that conclusion on everything that they are ruminating about for months and maybe even years as opposed to communicating. But then again, people don't really know how to communicate, right? So that's that's really what it is. It's um, it's it's the stories that we create and the meanings that we create about the people in our lives and about ourselves that completely destroy our lives, honestly. And will definitely destroy a relationship. You mentioned, obviously, yoga has played a huge role in your life. Can you talk a little bit about meditation and what role has meditation played in your life? And do you have a meditation practice? Yes, I do. You know, I'm yoga for many, many years was my meditation practice because it's like it's movement. And, sure. you know, and I've always had to move. I do have a meditation practice. I, I practice mostly Vedic meditation, which is kind of like um, TM, but transcendental meditation. Like I have a mantra and whatnot. Um, and I used to be very strict about doing 20 minutes twice a day. Now I'm just happy if I get in 20 minutes. Sometimes I do an hour. So that's really, really impactful for me, especially in the morning. When I don't do it, I notice. <laughs> And I also find journaling first thing in the morning, which I got from Julie Cameron's The Artist's Way. When you journal at least minimally three three pages within 30 minutes of arising, I, I have found that to be one of the most cathartic things that I could possibly do. An ideal morning would include the journaling and then moving my body and then meditating because I find that sitting down for meditation after I've moved my body is really profound. I'm still trying to figure out a way to do all that time-wise, but um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yes, I find meditation to be, I think everyone should meditate, honestly. Totally agree. Yeah. And I'm, I've, it, I'm bringing it up almost every single episode it, 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 because I feel, because I've seen so, so much the impact that it has made on my life, meditate, meditation, and as well as breath work. Mm -hmm. A lot of people love breath work. Yeah. And that has completely changed my life. Some of the breath work that I've done and just taken me to an alter state that I never thought was possible, mm -hmm. um, you know, without, uh, you know, plant medicine or drugs and whatnot. Exactly. So, but, but yeah, so is that also, do you do any particular type of breath works that you, breath work that you recommend? Or I actually don't do breath work, although I, I, I'm in full support of it. I think it's really, really, really powerful. Um, I think that breath work can sometimes be tricky if you have a very sort of wiry nervous system. In other words, if your nervous system is very, can get tense very easily, breath work can actually um, be disruptive to that. And so I've found it to be sometimes disruptive for me, but overall, I find that the breath work 
is I'm I'm a huge supporter of it and and will even recommend it to a lot of people. Excellent. You've talked about wanting getting back to kind of the work your work that you're currently doing. You kind of went as you mentioned the Tony Robbins kind of um you know kind of a newer way of doing things and a newer way of teaching and training versus kind of the academic route. Mm-hmm. And and I I like the expression that you consider yourself more of an interventionist can as opposed to a typical therapist that's going to just spend a ton of time going over your childhood, for example. So can you talk a little bit about that? And what do you mean when you get a new client, for example, and you're, what type of intervention are you referring to? Well, I'm, I'm being an interventionist is really about someone coming to me and I see that they are, I'm trying to intervene on a path that they're on that's not serving them. And it depends on how much crisis a person comes to me with. Like if a couple comes to me, if a couple's really, really struggling and let's say they're on the brink of divorce or splitting up, they do need an intervention to figure out what it is that they're going to do. So it really is, um, when I think about it, it's, it's like, I'm much more, um, I'm I'm very forward and I'm very um, strong with the people I work with. So I'm not just letting them just, so certain, certain clients I've worked with, they need to talk, you know, and I let them vent, but I'm always sure. going to insert my opinion. And if I think someone is really going in the wrong direction, I'm going to be very brutally honest about that. So in that way, that's how I see it as more of like an interventionist. Very cool. What are your views on dating apps? Mm-hmm. You know, I have a few clients who've met the love of their lives on dating apps. And, but a lot of people who are very frustrated by it. I think that, look, it's the world that we live in. I think what makes it very difficult and sad is that this whole swiping culture, it's like everyone is just so disposable. And that's not what we need. We need more connection. And so I, I really find that part of it incredibly difficult to, for people to navigate. And I find it really sad. If you're going to be on the apps, couple of things, don't say what it is that you don't want. Focus on what it is that you do want. Be very, very honest. If you are a single mother of three, make sure some of the pictures that you show, this is part of the authenticity conversation, by the way. Like be authentic and show a picture with you and your kids. Don't, don't have every picture be you, have you all dolled up, like have there be a picture, no makeup, smiling, you know, like something very candid. I said, and and this is for men too. And just like anything else on social media, it becomes very addictive. And then you see someone has, you know, whatever message you, then you get a hit of dopamine. So you have to really be mindful and disciplined so that you don't let it control you. If you're exhausted being on the apps, delete your app. Yeah. If you can go into the dating world saying, I'm just going to have fun and I'm just going to put myself out there because I need practice dating. I need to meet new people. I need to just like, have that experience, then I say, get on the apps. It's all, it really is, I hate to say it, a mindset thing. Yep, I would agree. And speaking of which, what are your views on 
compatibility, like you just compatibility versus love. You know, can you, what are obstacles that you can overcome? For example, people, two people are on vacation and one lives in New York and one lives in, you know, Ohio and, and they rendezvous in Mexico and they, you know, and they, they fall in love, but they have a geographical difference or, or, or maybe one person has raised their kids. The other person, you know, had kids later in life. So he or she still has young kids, but they think they love each other. But one person isn't sure if he wants to go through all that process. Should he look at it as, hey, I love this woman, I'll make it work? Or so love versus compatibility in a relationship. Yeah, sorry. So I think that, you know, choosing a partner has to be a practical uh, process as much as it is emotional. And so there are certain things that you just have to be in alignment over and kids being one of them money, lifestyle, sex, religion, or spiritual beliefs, just certain things you just need to be in alignment. Like your core values have to be in alignment. But as far as just like straight up compatibility, I think compatibility is very important. But, you know, there are introverts and extroverts that love each other and end up having a great relationship. But it's just a matter of everything else is sort of in line. And are they okay with, you know, like, okay, like, when we go on vacation, I like to do a bunch of things and my partner likes to, you know, just chill and read on the beach. That could be a problematic thing. But if everything else is sort of in line and that's how you are on vacation and you're okay with just spending, you know, half the day apart and the other half the day, you know, doing things together and maybe the introvert or, you know, the person who likes to read on the beach is like, yeah, I'll do this one activity with you. And one day the other one is like, yeah, I'll sit on the beach with you. So it's just a matter of are you willing to like, do you love this person enough to do some of the things that they love to do? Because that's very important for any relationship. Sometimes you do, sometimes you got to do the things that they love to do that you don't necessarily love to do because you want to be a part of their world. But I, you know, I think that when it comes, the the compatibility conversation, a good thing to ask is what does a Sunday afternoon look like for you? Because how you like to spend a Sunday afternoon will yeah. really show to people how compatible they are. Wow. A Saturday night and a Sunday afternoon. I like that. That's a good little lip, litmus test mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. You mentioned we can't have a relationship conversation without talking about sex. So long-term relationship, what are some tips that you have for people to, to keep the spice, you know, to keep the passion, to keep, you know, the, uh, just, just keep the intimacy alive and well after two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years. Okay. So number one is don't expect it to be the same as it was when you first met. The reason why it's so sexy in the beginning and it's not so sexy for everyone. There are actually people who will report saying the sex was okay. And then six, seven, eight months, a year in, it actually got a lot better. But generally speaking, the reason why it's so great in the beginning is because there's so much novelty and there's so much uncertainty and it's like living on the edge of that. It's almost like on the edge of danger makes things very exciting. 
But when you get to know someone and you feel safe with them, there's a whole another level that you can access of your erotic self and your erotic life together. And then you can start experimenting with certain things. So, but then it's like, let's just say there's kids involved, there's work stress, there's all of this. So number one is be mindful of how stressed out you are. Because when we're chronically stressed, we're not in our bodies we don't feel attractive and we're not attracted to our partner when they're stressed out. That's not when they're hot. Sure. So we have to watch our stress levels. Um, when you're managing household and, and children, you have to prioritize it and schedule it. I don't care. Like, I know that's not hot, but you know, get over it. Prioritize your relationship and prioritize your sexual relationship. Don't make your life revolve around the kids. And their schedules, because your kids, part of what's going to actually serve them is them feeling the love between you and your spouse or your partner. Great answer. Uh, but one more, but also one more thing, please. Yeah, which is that oftentimes when the magic goes out between us and another person, it's like the passion has kind of gone out in ourselves, and so we get like a little lazy, and we get like maybe we get stuck in a rut or we're just always wearing our sweatpants and we're not actually going on dates. We get too comfortable. And it's really important to feel comfortable with the person you're in a relationship with. But one of the most underrated or under acknowledged dangers to a relationship is getting too comfortable. So you stop trying. Yeah. That a couple of those I can clearly relate to in the breakup of my marriage you know one of those being the stress factor i was busy you know launching a new company and still running a different company and and you're right i just you know when i'm stressed and upset that's not a very attractive person you know for one and then what you just mentioned as as well getting so comfortable and and after she left you know and i've told this story on the podcast as well you know i I said something to her about, um, you know, she said, well, it, I felt like you didn't really even want me anymore. And I said, well, you came to bed every night in, you know, grandma pajamas. And uh, she turns around and she says to me, well, why didn't you buy me some sexy pajamas? Right. So there's the, that's the blame game. I mean, that's just yeah. really what it is. It's the blame game. And But yeah. that resonated with yeah, me. No, it stopped okay, me in my it. tracks. It, it totally stopped me in my tracks, though, because... Here I was like saying, you know, you're you came to bed her, every day, and, but you're not doing yeah. anything. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. And yeah. when she said that, I'm like, wow, mm. you know, I, I, yeah, that would have to stop it. Victoria's Secrets on the way home, and hey, honey, I picked you something. You know, yeah. that would have made her feel, you know. Yeah. So, so anyway, it was that was one of the first times I think that I started saying, okay, what role did I play in 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 all of this? And it uh, really set me on this journey of yeah, looking inward that you that we talk about. So I know we're pressed for time. So a couple other quick questions I want to get to. One, Can I just I add a, one uh, thing that I think will be oh really, please really even if we go over of course because I think this will be really yeah. great for your please. Listeners. We don't do this consciously, but when we get into a relationship, what we are unconsciously really yearning for is our partner to love us unconditionally the way a parent would. So we think that even when we go into these very stressed out states, we think, 
how could they not understand? They have to love me anyway. I want them to take care of me. Like, how can they, we feel so misunderstood when, when we're really stressed out and maybe they're reacting to that. Maybe they're pulling away because we're constantly stressed out. And then in our head, right, this is the stay in your head and your relationship is dead. Then in our head, we're thinking, you know, but they don't love me for who I am. They're not understanding me. And in that moment, what we're craving is not conscious, but what we're craving is mom or dad consoling us and just loving us, even Mm -hmm. though we're in this state. And the thing is, it just doesn't work like that in a romantic relationship. And this is really the trouble that we get ourselves into. Wow. Yeah. That really hits home for me for sure. Wow. Okay. Um, a listener, I did a, a, a post yesterday saying, hey, I'm going to be interviewing Jillian tomorrow. Anybody that has any questions, shoot me. And I received a comment out on Instagram from a Marilyn who wanted me to ask you, what are your thoughts on starting over in the dating world after a long marriage ends? Is it better to wait a while or just jump right back in? Jump right back in. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I did not see that answer coming. Interesting. I think, you know, obviously if there was some, there's obviously processing that needs to be done. There's self-reflection that needs to be done, but a pattern, you know, especially with women is that they will get so stuck in the processing and then they will take years before they get themselves out there. No, I think it's much healthier to get yourself back out there. The people who I've admired the most now let me make a distinction. It's one thing to just jump from relationship to relationship, never making any changes. And then all you do is repeating patterns because we just take ourselves wherever we go. So that's one pattern. And that's not something that I, those are the people I'm like, slow down. You need to be alone. Yeah. But I gotcha. think that this, this, we're being shoved this idea, like you need to be alone. I think it's, I think we're going too far in that direction. What if what's really best for that person is to really get out there and to recognize that like that marriage that they were, that there's so much more to life than the marriage that they were in. Hmm. So I don't think, you know, so it's hard to say, I would, I would obviously have to meet with the person and see like, no, you need a timeout versus you need to get back in out there, but you're just exiting a long marriage. Like get out there. Like, it doesn't mean you jump into a relationship right away. Sure. Uh, means, so that's a very good distinction. It yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, get sure. out there just to just know that like your life doesn't end because that ra- marriage ended. There's more fish in the sea. There's more experiences to have. And I really admire the people who can, who don't lick their wounds for months and years on end. And they say, okay, I licked my wounds. I process. Now I, now it's next. Now next, I'm going to keep on going. Those people are happier people. Ah, great answer. Do you believe? Uh, this just I just wanted to insert this one in real quick too. Do you believe in a twin flame or a soulmate? I don't really understand the twin flame thing. Like that's a that's I don't get it. I don't even know what the hell that means. <laughs> okay. Hell, Fair I enough. Nor do I. So uh, yeah, nor I do I. But all. I'm hearing it a lot lately. I don't. I'm hearing yeah, it a I hear it a lot lately, too. So. I don't understand it. It's not. It's not my my line of thinking. Soulmate. Okay. I think we have many soulmates. I think a soulmate is anyone who there's two ways that I look at it. A soulmate is anyone who comes into your life and helps you to grow. And even if that means it's painful, you've grown as a result of that. Soulmate is someone who feel just an intense connection to you. And you feel like there's some sort of karma between the two of you. You were meant to meet, you were meant to have this relationship. You were meant to, to be in each other's lives, but that doesn't mean that it's meant to last. 
And then there's another way of looking at a soulmate, which is maybe this is a more mature way of looking at, I don't know, but someone who is really willing to do the journey with you. Like, is it all in and you're all in with them? Love it. So I think those are two Love ways to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And I so agree with you on that, by the way. I've, I've called bullshit on this. You have one soulmate around the world. It's oh, like, yeah. you know how many people marry their soulmate and they both grew up in a town of 1,000 people in Nebraska and their soulmate happened to be right down the street. For, exactly. Proximity. Called, so yeah, this one, yeah. this this the idea of like the one is, is yeah. uh, I don't believe yeah. that. Totally agree. All right. We are out of time. So to our very last question, Jillian, what advice do you have for us and our listeners on how we can help make the world a better place? I think that if we stop hating ourselves so much and stop judging ourselves so much, then we will show other people mercy too. And I think that um, that's how we make the world a better place. Because if we're, if we we're constantly hating other people because they represent something that they hate, that we hate in ourselves. So if we can make peace with ourselves, then we can make peace with others. And if we have more people making peace with themselves and others, we have a better world. Beautiful answer. Beautiful. For our listeners, you can go to JillianTarecki.com. I will put the URL in the episode notes. Jillian's brand new podcast, which we've talked about today, a lot of the content that we talked about and so much more is out on our podcast. That's Jillian on Love, available wherever you get your podcasts. And on Instagram, Jillian Tarecki, at Jillian Tarecki, J-I-L-L-I-A-N-T-U-R-E-C-K-I. And Jillian, real quickly, the type of services you offer for, for, for clients that they can find on your website. Yeah. So I have a membership. This is actually for women. It's called the conscious woman. And it's, it's basically a community of incredible women trying to be the best that they can be. And there's all my workshops and live events. I I do live workshops and book clubs. That's all in there. And then I also have all these workshops a la carte. So anyone can go to it and just pick up a work, uh, a workshop. And I have my heartbreak workbook. If you're someone who's going through heartbreak, I have a downloadable PDF that has changed people's lives. I literally outlined the entire steps that I took to transition out of being the dark into to transition out of being in the dark night of the soul into um, a new life. Awesome. Jillian, thank you so much. I've had so much fun in this conversation. And I think there's so many of us men, especially, I think need to hear so many of the things that you teach and talk about. So thank you for all you do. And we'd love to have you back at some point in time. Thank you again. Appreciate it. So much. I so appreciate being here. Special thanks to my guest, Jillian Turecki. To learn more about Jillian, please visit her website at jillianturecki.com and check out her brand new podcast called Jillian on Love. Thanks to our producer, Noah Existe, and editor, Joe Tempoco. Our music was written and performed by Algian Importante. Thank you so much for listening. If this podcast brightened your day in any way, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review. If you have any ideas for potential guests or suggestions on how we can improve our show, please shoot us an email at betterplaceprojectpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voice memo by clicking on the microphone on the homepage of our website. For updates on our show, please visit us on Instagram at betterplaceproj or head to our website at betterplaceproject.org. Look for small ways to be kind to others this week, and that will help make the world a better place. Make the world.